everyone. Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital. Welcome to Medically Speaking, our evening edition. We are here tonight on Doctor's Day with one of my favorite doctors who is an ENT for Connecticut ENT. Hi, Dr. Baya. Hey, Robin. Thanks for having me over. Thank you for coming on Doctor's Day, too. It should be a day you're home and celebrating and relaxing. Yeah, we started celebrations early in the morning with you guys at St. Mary's. We did. We started so. early this morning. So if I sound tired, I apologize to the audience. We've been we've been going at it since six o'clock this morning. So, but that's something that you guys do all the time. What you celebrate? Your, yeah. Well, you start your days early. Yeah, no. we start our days real early. <laughs> you so. start your. I don't know how you do it. You that guys is are a like normal day for us. That yeah. is a normal day for you, yeah. not for me anymore. The older I've gotten, and I'm not on the floors anymore, I start later. I start later, and then a little bit later. Yeah, no, we have long days, but that's okay. That's part of being a doctor. It's part of being a doctor, which is why we celebrated Doctor's Day today. I had a great time meeting with a lot of physicians at the hospital and then going out and meeting with physicians out in the community. So, And I still have some gifts in my car, so if I missed any of, the, any of you docs out there, I'll be sure to get to you tomorrow. We have Dr. Baya with us tonight. Dr. Baya is an ENT with Connecticut ENT, and we are so excited to have you here tonight because we are on the cusp of allergy season. So we definitely wanted to talk a little bit about allergy season. What are some of the things that you're seeing? What are some of the issues that you see in your office this time of year? And what are some of the things that patients can do to prevent allergies? And if you have any questions for Dr. Byer, we encourage you to call in 203-757-1320. We definitely will entertain your questions. And not many times they can get an ENT doctor to have a conversation with. I'm moving this mic so I can see you a little bit better. So, Dr. Baya, it's allergy season. So, let's talk a little bit about allergies and what you see and what patients can expect. Yeah, that's what I say. Spring has sprung. Spring has sprung. Uh, so, it's here. It's getting here. I think a couple of weeks more and then we'll already, we already have started seeing some little spike in pollen count. It's still not that bad. Uh, it's still very low on all the pollen. But it's going to come very soon. Even uh, with the warm weather. Yeah, and actually that's what's going to trigger it really fast. Right. Uh, so what's going to happen is you'll start uh, feeling your eyes itching, your throat mm-hmm. itch, you'll start sneezing. Yeah. And those are the common symptoms that people have. Uh, I personally actually know that spring is here when my eyes start itching, so I know it's allergy time. So you know it's allergy time. So if people have had allergies in the past... They kind of know what, exactly. the, what the symptoms are. People recognize are. their symptoms because they know from past experience that this is what it is. And a lot of patients will control and manage their allergies at home, which is really the way it should be. Right. You know, there are a lot of over-the-counter medications, antihistamines. Uh, you know, one works better than the other for someone, and it's the other way around for someone else. Right. It really depends on a personal preference. It's an individual. It's individual. Uh, you know, exactly. So people try that, and that's reasonable. I think it's very reasonable. Most patients just do great with that. And there are a lot of environmental uh, precautions that come into the mix, and we talk about that with all our patients mm-hmm. when they come with allergies. We say, okay, you have to control your environment. For example, right. if you have a hay fever, if you have spring allergies, yeah. then you know that the more you stay outside, the more the chances are that you'll react to all the pollen out there. So a few uh, tricks that help patients is, you know, when you come back home, you know, at night we tell patients if you have allergies, you can take a shower, get all the, get all the uh, pollen, off. pollen off you, and that, that helps you. Uh, if you have allergies, do indoor allergies, which kind of is also very common, mm. dust or uh, pet uh, allergies, then if you have pets at home, keep them out of your bedroom. If you have dust allergies, you get these uh, dust mite proof encasings right. for your mattresses, for your pillows, easily available at any retail outlet here. Bed, they're pretty, they're good for anyone, really. They're good for anyone. Actually, I think that's actually not too bad uh, for anyone. Yeah, and, definitely. You know, it definitely improves the environment. And, you know, having an air purifier, HEPA filter, if you have a vacuum cleaner with a HEPA filter, it helps because it doesn't recirculate the dust uh, pollen, the dust mites in your environment. So that's something that uh, these are strategies that help control, that help you control your environment. In this time of year, we've been locked in so much, so we all want to open up our windows, but that's sometimes the worst, right? Yep. And that's when you get a flood of allergies. So right. we, we get patients at this time, they just come in with red eyes and then uh, there are prescription medications. You have eye drops, 
Uh, you have nasal sprays, mm. and these all kind of uh, complement, you know, the over-the-counter antihistamines. So if that's not helping, then we can definitely prescribe uh, patients these medications, which help. Which are a little bit stronger, more than what you can get over-the-counter. Right, the it's prescription strength. Some, right. of the, some of the nasal sprays are now available over-the-counter. Right. So it's kind of made it easy for patients to get access to some of these, and they're pretty much the same. They are the same strength as right. prescription medications. So... Uh, do you do you see that patients that didn't you know develop allergies as they get older? I mean, is it common for people to have allergies that never had allergies before? We Can see that, that all the time. In fact, I have uh, patients in the sixth and seventh decade of life whom we're treating with allergy shots for the first time. Really? So, and they they ask me why now, and it's it's just the way the body reacts, and it's all an immunological uh, phenomenon, and your right. immunity may change mm. as you age. But we see patients with allergies as young as four and right. five and as old as as i said sixth and seventh decade of life and and we live in the northeast we live in connecticut we have to accept that uh so and we treat them it's 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 something that's pretty common in this uh, part of the world what generally will bring a patient into you you know how how you know it, when over the counter isn't working anymore is that when you tend to see them Right. Most often, patients will try over-the-counter, then they'll go to their primary care doctor, and they're treated very well by their primary care uh, physicians. And sometimes it's just been uh, two or three seasons of allergies, and that nothing works. That brings them to uh, see right. uh, the specialist. Right. And, you know, it's I know it's frustrating for patients because they want to feel better, and then they don't know if it's a cold or not. Right, exactly. So they come in and they say we have an allergies or we are stuffy and we've been this has been going on for six months or nine months. It started last summer and it just doesn't seem to go away. And that's when we offer them other options. It's like maybe we should try to get to the bottom of this. Maybe right. we should do allergy testing. And our practice actually does offer extensive uh, allergy testing to figure out what your allergies so are. So what 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 is entailed in an allergy test? What do you generally have to do? So there are a couple of ways to do allergy testing. Uh, blood testing is uh, one way to do it. It's not 100% accurate. So the more accurate way is to do skin testing. <laughs> that's so fun. That's, that's fun. <laughs> that's fun, but it's accurate. So it's someone accurate. who suffered for a year or a couple of years and it's not going anywhere, uh, right. this might be a great uh, option because we test them for allergies a bunch of different uh, allergens. Uh, We find out what their allergies are, and then we can offer them uh, immunotherapy. The way I explain it to patients, immunotherapy is actually the most scientific way in terms of you're building your body's immunity to the things you're allergic to. So it's not... Uh, like vaccination in a way right? because it's really what if you're allergic to dust and uh, trees that's the kind of uh, immunotherapy you'll get to dust and trees so you kind of mix it in a solution and get a shot so that that's something that we have been doing for many years now, almost 20 years, and great results. I mean, patients do well with the That's interesting. So the, so the allergy shot is customized based on what is triggering the allergy right. for the Right. It's tailor-made. Um, it's tailor-made. It's customized for each particular patient. So allergy shots. And here's another interesting thing. There are uh, kids who have allergies. We right. find out what their allergies are either on blood test. And right. for kids, a lot of times we use blood testing because they may not sit through uh, skin okay. testing. Skin and we find a lot of allergies. And uh, kids actually benefit from allergy drops. We call it sublingual immunotherapy, which is what... Wow. Uh, it's the same as the shots. Right. So you take the same pollen, but you reconstitute it in a way that it's uh, can be taken sublingually under the tongue. And the last year or so, we now introduced uh, a toothpaste, allergy toothpaste. You're kidding. And, and that's pretty cool. It's basically wow. the same as the drops. You take right. the drops and you reconstitute it in right. a toothpaste. Right. So I think it's really kid-friendly because kids all know that they're to brush their teeth. Brush their teeth. A couple of times a day. Right. So they use that particular special toothpaste uh, once a day. And uh, that absorbs the, the, the antigens which are there in the immunotherapy, get absorbed yeah. through the gums. Well, that's, so that is so interesting. So they're brushing their teeth, which is great, and then they're getting their allergy treatment for the day. 
Uh, they can carry the toothpaste around. How long has that been around? I've never heard of that. So we've been doing this now for, I would say, about 9 to 12 months. We have a really? handful of patients, not a lot, because it's a new concept. Right. And uh, But I think the toothpaste is, I, I think the value is for kids. I have one adult in our practice who actually opted for the toothpaste, and he said, you know what, it's easier for me to do it this way. I would way. take the toothpaste. So That's uh, really neat. Yeah. Now, so, and it's effective. You found it to be effective. It is. You know, uh, the toothpaste is still new, but the oral immunotherapy, the sublingual immunotherapy that I was telling you about, right. we have been doing that now. In fact, we are one of the few practices in Connecticut who actually reconstitute and mix this for, you know. Uh, so you do it right there. We, yeah, everything is done in our office. Everything's done we right there, so it's allergy, not like they have to go to the pharmacy. We have two allergy nurses, and uh, it's reconstituted, and, uh, you know, it's it's as effective as the shots. The advantages are it's ease of, uh, you know, it's convenient. Right. Uh, they can just take it at home. Right. They, they don't need to come every week. That which, is so interesting. When you, when you start shots, you come every week. Right. So they take it at home every day. And uh, the chances of a reaction, which the shots do, you know, one of the problems with the shots, it's really, we haven't seen that because we are so careful and conservative mm-hmm. with our approach. Right. But if you read the literature, people can get anaphylaxis, which is a reaction. Right. Uh, so that's why when patients come for shots, they have to take time off from work. Right. They come sit in our office, get the shots, sit in our office for 20 minutes to make sure that they're not getting a reaction, and then we let them go home. So you don't see that with the oral? With the oral, it's almost zero. I mean, they'll get sometimes get some itching under right. the tongue. And right. those are things we kind of, you know, uh, follow very closely right. and right. see how things are going with right. the patient. Yeah. That's really... Now, if a, a child presents with um, an allergen and you need to treat it, what? how long does that last? I mean, will that... Once you treat it, how long do you have to treat it and will it last and, a lifetime or do they have to And that's to be what retreated? patients ask us, how long? And the answer is four to five years because mm-hmm. it's really a stepwise uh, escalation of the dose. We don't want to give you the highest dose right. uh, on day one or in month one because then you will have a reaction. So right. we start off low and then build your immunity as we uh, go along. So it's a four to five year commitment. And that's what I tell my patients. It's a commitment in time and money. And right, it's take, a lot right. of effort. You have to make sure, even for the shots, if you skip a couple of months, you know, you're walking two steps forward and five, five steps, steps back. back. So patients understand that. And right. if they feel that they cannot be committed to this, then we still have the medications mm-hmm. and the sprays and environmental controls to help them along. And it's so hard to control your environment. You know, you mentioned pets and, you know, and it's hard to get kids, especially to live the lifestyle they need to live, especially when they take off and go to college. Like we were just talking about your son, you know, when they start to get it, they're not going to have the allergy free pill. I know that that happened with my own son. You know, I had this controlled environment for him because he had allergy induced asthma. And then he went off to college and I couldn't control that environment the way I wanted to. And now the beauty of that is uh, these kids uh, can get the oral immunotherapy, the drops. So we actually mail it to them wherever they are. (laughs) You know, every three months they'll get a new uh, dose. So that's really convenient. We have kids from, you know, all the neighboring states, the Rhode, Rhode Island and New Hampshire and you know, they cannot get shots. Right, they can, don't have time for and, shots. They're you know, at school. I think it, some of the kids used to get shots in school because a school nurse mm-hmm. used to give them the shots. Mm-hmm. But now I get the feedback that even they don't want to do it anymore. No, and they don't have them. They're not stationed there every day. Yeah. So they now have a few nurses. So a lot of them school. benefit from uh, the allergy uh, drops, the sublingual immunotherapy. And it's great. I think that's that's a really great uh, audience for that's this really kind of therapy. That's and, really you know, we offer it. And, uh, you know, we are actually the practice where everything is kind of mixed. and Well, I'm always impressed by your practice. I mean, yourself, Dr. Schiff, your partner, and Debbie Mastriani, who's your APRN, who's incredible. Um, just You guys have such a great team, and you're always at that forefront of of the next thing and I, I i so admire that yeah and that's that's so important because it's it's important for our patients because when we are uh, up to date with all the new advances right. all the new technologies uh, the patients benefit the most the patients incredible they benefit incredibly i mean you know one of the things we try to do with this program on medically speaking St. Mary's wants people to know the physicians that we have in our area and who are our community partners and that we have some of the best care in the area right here and there's no reason to go outside of the greater Waterbury area to get the best. No, this is it. I mean, I think uh, I, I feel that our area is really uh, 
uh, you know, we're really blessed. Uh, we are. You know, if I, if I have to see a doctor, uh, I will go to someone locally. Definitely. You know, I mean, I don't need to step out of uh, the area. You don't. Uh, so, you know, we have the best care in our area, and uh, we are really proud to be part of uh, the team of doctors here I, in this area. I, and I, I'm, I'm so proud to, to be the physician liaison that gets to work with you guys, because I truly believe we do have some of the best of the best. One of the things that you've been doing with us, and it kind of goes along, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but you've been doing with us, your team is, um, you're helping us at the Surgery Center to become one of the highest level surgery centers in our area and we've done a great job at our Naugatuck Valley Surgery Center and you do a ton of procedures out of there. One of them kind of goes along with allergies and we'll talk a little bit about sinusitis because you see patients that get sinusitis because of allergies. Yes, I mean, here's what it is. I mean, when people get uh, frequent acute uh, sinusitis Mm -hmm. and then in some patients it becomes chronic. Right. There are a couple of things that we start thinking about. Is it allergies? So that's where we start bringing about the discussion about should we test you for allergies? Should we find out what you're allergic to? Sometimes there are surprises. Patients will say no allergies and you test them and they have allergies. And they, they, have like, allergies. they come with a shocked look on their <laughs> face saying, oh, you told me. And So that's one thing. The other thing we look at is the sinuses themselves because the sinuses are really just pockets of air in the right. skull, which all drain into the nose. Mm. So if these uh, pockets of air are not draining as well, things get clogged. The sinus passages get clogged. You know, I, I uh, the analogy I give is it's like a sink. If you block the sinkhole, everything backs up in the sink. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. If you block the passages, everything backs up in the sinuses, fluid and mucus. And uh, that's what causes the pain because once you have excessive fluid in the sinuses, it stretches those pain nerves in the sinuses and then patients are miserable they have facial pain and then every ever ever so often the passage will open a little bit some of the mucus will drain out but by by now it's nasty mucus greenish and i I can tell you there's an infection it's an infection so that's a typical sinus infection they have facial pain pressure drainage fevers feeling miserable they lose three or four days till they get some attention from a doctor or primary care doctor right. or urgent care or one of the specialists and some people are really miserable I just saw someone today four or five signs of infections <sighs> every year and every year. those are the kind of patients we see daily daily now what leads to the sinusitis what leads to it I mean is it allergies is it what's the culprit that causes it and that's exactly what I was talking about the triggers are allergies okay and then uh, anatomically having narrowed spaces Mm -hmm. so here's where the trick is the trick is you evaluate the patient figure out what it is and then come up with a plan if they have only allergies and your cat scan which we do once we know that this is the history, if the CT scan of the sinuses looks pretty clear, then we aggressively treat their mm-hmm. allergies. On the other hand, if they have no allergies, but the CT scan looks all clogged and the sinus passages are narrowed, you have to treat that. You have to treat it. Or sometimes you have a combination of both. So you have to come up with a plan based on each individual uh, a patient. The scary thing, you know, the scary thing is, I think as patients, we just want that quick fix. So then we tend to say, oh, I'm just let me just call the doctor. I know it's another sinus infection, and you can take all the antibiotics in the world, but it's not going to treat the actual problem. Exactly. It's going to get rid of the sinus infection for a period of time. But right, and that's what I tell my patients. You know, primary care doctors uh, effectively treat their patients who right. have sinus infections, but they have recurrent frequent sinus infections five, seven in a year. Then you know you have to do something, and right. that's where we as surgeons come into the picture. We have <laughs> surgical options that we offer patients to help the sinuses drain uh, so that the sinuses can ventilate. You need a nice, well-ventilated room, right? So right. that's really what uh, some of the sinus procedures that we offer patients. So there's a newer procedure that I heard you speak about um, probably about a year ago or so at the surgery center you at Naugatuck Valley. You did a presentation on it, and it's called the balloon sinuplasty. And I was intrigued by it, and... Uh, now more and more you're utilizing this procedure and so maybe we tell the audience a little bit about what balloon sinuplasty is and what it does to help 
Right. So just before I talk about balloon sinuplasty, let's take a step back. So you eva- you're keeping me on track. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we evaluate patients. Right. We figure out that they need some sinus intervention because okay. the sinuses are blocked. We obviously evaluate them by doing you know, a nasal endoscopic examination, the CT scan, make sure there are no polyps. Um, and try to see how bad the disease is because we still, traditionally what we used to do and we still do is endoscopic sinus surgery where sometimes you have to open up the sinus passages with traditional uh, tools that we have, our surgical right. instruments. Right. But then there there is this group of patients who have minimal sinus disease. That's how I describe it to them. They have small narrow passages with some blockage because of inflammation of the tissues. Uh, and these are the patients whom we know will benefit from a minimal sinus procedure. So minimal sinus procedure, minimally invasive sinus procedure for patients with minimal sinus disease. And that's what balloon sinuplasty okay. is. Uh, the way I explain it to patients, it's similar to what the cardiologists do uh, for the heart. You have the coronary uh, vessels and they are blocked and they go in with balloons and everyone knows about that because right. that's been around so long. And they open it up and uh, let the blood flow. Hmm. Uh, the difference is here we are opening uh, bony structures, bony openings. And that's where the balloon sinuplasty comes into uh, effect. It's it's a different type of balloon. It's a little bit stiffer, so it can widen and open the bony passages. <laughs> this has been around for about 10 years now. Wow. And Dr. Schiff and I actually were the pioneers of balloon sinuplasty in <laughs> well, the, the greater Well, the first I heard area. about it, yeah, yeah. was when so you presented So we first started doing, doing it in 2008, while. actually. Wow. And, uh, you know, it, it has evolved uh, from what it was mm. uh, eight years ago since we've been doing this. And... Uh, it's it's pretty uh, slick. It, we do it in the office now. We That's initially awesome. were doing it in the operating room, right. but with the newer advances and the technology that was there, we are now able to do this in the office for a select group of patients right. you have under local anesthesia. You do it in exactly. Board. So, exactly, some patients will benefit from in office, right. and some patients will go to the operating room, go right. to the surgical center, right. Right. and uh, a, a lot of times the decision is made based on the disease that we see. Mm. Uh, but what it offers patients is, again, as I was telling you, minimal, uh, minimally invasive uh, sinus procedure. Patients do very well with this. So and this of course, is the select group? This is a select group of patients. And I tell my patients, you're not burning any options here. You know, if this doesn't work and your sinuses are worse, we, we go back to the traditional uh, sinus right. uh, surgery. You're not burning any bridges. That's so. right. At the very least, if you can do the most minimally first to see if that works. So would this be the patient that doesn't have the repeat sinus infections as much, maybe just a few, but knowing that this will help them. No, it actually, uh, that that goes, this is the patient who has frequent sinus infections, as I told you, four or five. Four or five. uh, A year. And these are treated with antibiotics. They're miserable. Uh, the cri- the selection criteria for this is they have to have minimal sinus disease, no polyps. No polyps. And we'll talk about uh, what the polyp surgery entails right. in a few. Okay. But these are the patients who have no polyps. These are the patients who don't really have a badly deviated septum because you need to have good access. So you want to do minimal surgery without having to do major surgery. Right. Uh, and then... Uh, these are the patients who, you know, will benefit just from minimal uh, surgery. They don't really need to have any extensive sinus disease. So that's really the criteria. But there is this group of patients. It's it's not as big as you think it would be, but there is a group of patients. We see these patients all the time. They and come if in you with, can opt for it, and I mean, you know, we see it a lot advertised. You know, I mean, it's it's on all the billboards now, and I've seen it driving. There's on the billboards. But, you know, you want people to understand that it is an option, but it's not for everyone. But you need to talk to the ENT to understand if you fit into that group. Right, exactly. And that's what we tell our patients. If you have questions about it, right. come and see us and we will guide you uh, right. and let you know if this is the right procedure for you. It's it's not a procedure for everyone. Right. It doesn't, it's not like that one procedure that fixes everything that in fixes, your nose yeah. and sinuses. We all like these quick fixes because, you know, we have to get on with our lives, but people need to understand that you may or may not be a candidate for something like that and you may need the more intense one, just depending. Right. And that, that's where that's where a specialist like uh, uh, Dr. Schiff and me come into the picture. We Absolutely. kind of guide our patients through what their sinus disease is and mm-hmm. what we can do. As I told you, some patients may just need allergy treatment. Right. Some patients may just need balloon sinuplasty, and some patients may need to go to the OR to do balloon sinuplasty, fixing the septum, taking out the polyps. So it all it all depends. depends. Each patient is different, and we have to tailor 
uh, our protocols individually. Yeah. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we want to talk a little bit more about polyps because that is a term that's used quite frequently, trying to understand what a polyp is and maybe deviated symptom because I think we hear that a lot too so people understand. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital, Medically Speaking, on a Wednesday evening. And we're medically speaking tonight about allergy season. And we are here tonight with Dr. Dr. Baya. Hi, Dr. Baya. Hey, Robin. I almost said Dr. I'm, Schiff. I'm, I'm still here. <laughs> we were just talking about him. Yeah, we were talking about By him. your partner. By your partner. So it was okay. Yep. So I'm here with Dr. Breyer, who's from Connecticut ENT, and he's joining us tonight. And we're talking a bit about allergy season and some of the 
complications that happen for people that have frequent allergies that lead into sinusitis and some of the treatments that your team can do and some of the really unique ways that you treat allergies also. The toothpaste really caught my attention. That was amazing. We um, are entertaining your calls, so please feel free to call in 203-757-1320. And we are also going to be live on, we are also live on iTunes, so you can search for us on Medically Speaking, and this show will be aired on Medically Speaking within the next 48 hours, so you can catch this whole broadcast as well as some of our others from their library on our iTunes under Medically Speaking. So when we left you a few minutes ago, we were talking about uh, balloon sinuplasty, and that's one of the treatments that um, you can do in a certain population of patients that have frequent um, sinusitis. But we threw out a term of polyps, which I think is what we hear patients hear a lot and what causes a polyp what is a polyp first of all maybe just to educate the uh listeners just a bit so a polyp is and people know the word polyp i mean they heard they hear of polyps when people get colonoscopies upper GI endoscopy. So it's the same kind of uh, concept. It's just an outpouching of the inner lining of the nose and the sinuses. So you kind of, when you look in the nose, it looks like a bunch of grapes. Mm. And uh, about 25 to 40% of these polyps uh, have allergies associated with them. So whenever anyone has polyps, when we we test them for allergies, like I was talking about before, so when they have allergies associated, we know that that needs to be treated aggressively too with the variety of uh, treatments that are available through our practice. But still, the polyps are a problem because they cause blockage, cannot breathe through the nose, uh, loss of sense of smell. They're and, uncomfortable. And people are stuffy. Some people will snore because of that. Mm. And some people, just because the polyps are blocking their sinuses, will have chronic sinus disease. Right. So these are the common symptoms and problems that people have associated with nasal and sinus polyps. When we evaluate these patients, we'll, of course, do a CAT scan again, just like that's one of an important modality, imaging modality for us. We'll do allergy testing. And based on what the symptoms are, we'll decide on the plan. The plan may include just medical management with nasal sprays, nasal steroid sprays, allergy treatment, or it might in some cases require surgical management. So the patient is really miserable and needs uh, steroids, oral prednisone repeatedly just because he's blocked, cannot breathe, cannot function. Those are the patients who need surgery. I was going to ask you about that with the steroid nasal sprays. How frequently can they use them? Is it a is it a small period of time and then they have to come off of them? And how how does that? So work? the nasal steroid sprays can be used long term. Oh, they so can be, be yeah, used. Yeah, patients long-term. use it every day, and that's really the way to kind of. But the way I explain it to patients is, if you already have polyps, the spray, the nasal steroid sprays, going to more or less be like a power wash. They'll shrink the polyps down. What's more effective is the oral steroids, the prednisone, but that's what you cannot take over that, and over you can't again take, right. because of all the complications mm-hmm. that people know of. It's, you know, a 10 or 12 day short course of uh, prednisone that shrinks the polyps down and helps people breathe temporarily, but it's not uh, fixed. You know, sooner or right. later, three months, six months down the road, they'll be back because the polyps have grown in size. And, uh, that's when we have to make a decision in consultation with the patient about surgery. Now, the balloon sinuplasty, which I was talking about, is not uh, something that will work for this. You know, as I was telling you, balloon sinuplasty is uh, good for minimal sinus disease. But if you have polyps, you really need to get those polyps out uh, by using uh, specialized instrumentation in the operating room, it's under general anesthesia, sometimes uh, using something called image-guided navigation, which we have at the hospital. Uh, It's like, I call it like a GPS, like a navigation system in your car. It helps you guide uh, your way through the sinuses so that you can uh, safely and effectively take out the polyps because there are important structures around the sinuses, so you kind of want to be aware of that. And uh, the navigation uh, adds that extra layer Uh, especially when it's going to be a complicated case. But um, that's really what polyps need. They need surgery, drainage of the sinuses, same concept, same principle, Mm. but using specialized instrumentation. And then 
the goal is to try to keep these polyps at bay as long as possible because they will come back. That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, if you go through the surgery, then what's your risk for getting these back again and how quickly do they come back? They can come back quickly, but the mm-hmm. goal here is to try to delay the onset, the delay the recurrence of these polyps as much as possible. Right. So if it takes a patient 10 years to get the polyps back to a point where he was 10 years ago, that's great. Patients right. are really happy. So we have some new emerging technologies which actually are helping us in that direction. We actually have drug-eluting uh, stents. Basically, these are stents implants that have a drug in them, and the drug that they use is uh, something called mometasone, which is the same as what Nasonex, which most yeah. patients know of. So it's that steroid that's there in the implant or the stent, uh, which is an absorbable, it's a self-dissolving stent. Wow, which so, is where, placed so you put this in the nose? In the sinuses, in the basically. Si- the, sinus the sinus that you opened okay. after you do polyp surgery, at the time of the polyp surgery, you go ahead and put the stent there. It stays in for 30 to 45 days it eventually dissolves uh, sometimes we oh it dissolves take it, yeah okay. sometimes we, we prefer to take it out in a couple of weeks or so just so that it can then help the sinuses drain but the drug that's there the steroid actually helps with the inflammation and helps things heal better uh-huh. so this is a new emerging technology it's been uh, available now for a few years and uh, we have been gaining experience and, I, and I've seen patients and their sinuses three months after surgery in which you've used these drug eluting stents and some of those sinuses look really really nice and clean wow. and disease free which is really what the ultimate goal is so uh, so if allergies cause the polyps to happen, then do they, do they, do you treat that allergy so that the, that will help the polyps not to come back? I guess that's where I'm going with right. that. Right. So once you're done with the surgery, they will probably be put on allergy shots or allergy drops. Because, and I kind of reinforce that to the patient. If you have all these allergies, right. one way to try to keep these uh, polyps at bay is to treat your allergies right. aggressively. So that definitely is part of the whole treatment uh, protocol. You know, and that's just it. You know, when I talked a few minutes ago about a quick fix, because we're all looking for that quick fix. So when you do the surgery and they feel so much better, they don't think they need anything else and they're good to go. You know, you cleaned out their plumbing and they're good to go. But very much like we, you know, we talked about the ballooning for a patient. You know, you open up their, you open up their arteries and then they can't go have another cheeseburger. You know, it's a change of lifestyle. So same thing with allergy shots. The same, yeah, it's the same concept. It's the same concept that you clean the sinuses, help you breathe better. They are happy. Some of them will be tempted not to do anything more. Right. And, you know, patients just have to be educated and eventually they make the right decision for themselves. To, to go ahead and ensure that they stay polyp-free, because that is the worst. I know my son had them as a kid, and they used to use a nose spray that was called Vansinase. It was years and years ago. Right, years ago. But now the other steroid sprays are better, more effective. We follow these patients closely. We'll see them uh, once a year or twice a year. Some of the polyps may come back. We actually have uh, uh, an office uh, procedure now where we can actually, when the polyps come back, to some extent where they don't need the extensive surgery, we can take out these polyps in the office with similar instrumentation that we might use in the operating room, less aggressive. So we kind of are maintaining their nasal passages, open nasal passages, so that they can keep breathing better and smell better. You know, it's it's interesting to me. I think we tend to try to take care of ourselves by using the over-counter stuff, avoiding going to see the doctor saying, you know, it's just allergies, I can handle it, I can treat it. But then over time, it's so frustrating. It just makes so much more sense to see the specialist because then you have a better quality of life all the way around. I think that's absolutely true. It's all about quality of life. A okay. lot of these mm-hmm. sinus procedures are about quality of life. It's it's not a cancer. Right. It's not something that if not addressed right away will lead to, you know, a mortality. Right. It's a but more it's, chronic. it's a morbidity problem. Right. It's chronic, it's quality of life and you know, in this day and age, we all need to, you know, be on our A game, right? Absolutely. Uh, when we're working. It's Absolutely. really a tough work environment for Definitely. all of us. So that's what allows you to kind of maintain that quality of life and uh, bring your A game to work. Yeah, definitely. We were when we were talking about um, the sinu- the sinuplasty. We also you also mentioned the word septum. 
Deviated septum. And I, I wanted to address that a little bit. What causes a deviated septum? Is that something you're born with? Is that something that occurs through an injury? or? So it could be one or the other. Okay. And if you read the literature, uh, you know, there are diverse views on that. Some people think it's all uh, 90% traumatic. Some people, some studies will say you're born with that for the most part. And, and that's okay. Controversies are great for medicine. Dr. Schiff and I uh, have different opinions on deviated septum, but eventually the bottom line is your septum is that partition wall between your right and your left nasal passage, and it's bent. It's crooked. It's bent either to one side or the other with the result that you don't breathe as well. Right. You try to exercise, you go to the gym, and you find it really hard to breathe. Uh, sometimes a deviated, septums will, deviated septum will contribute to your sinus infections. Uh, so deviated septum. Because there's not proper drainage. Because uh, exactly, there's not proper drainage. The uh, air flows through the nose are all turbulent now instead mm -hmm. of being laminar. Mm -hmm. So it messes up all the tissue linings inside. So wow. fixing the septum, straightening it out with a simple procedure uh, under anesthesia, which we do very commonly at the surgical center, uh, helps. You breathe better, the air flows are better, so everything kind of reverts back to normal. Wow. Uh, so it's, it's a very common procedure, it's pretty quick, recovery is pretty quick, and we, we see and do a lot of these uh, deviated septal uh, surgeries with or without uh, the sinus uh, Do you procedures. see people that have suffered with them for a really long time, for like many years, and then they just finally had had it? So my oldest patient on whom I did a septoplasty was, I saw him when he was 80 years old. <laughs> And he said, yeah, I know it's deviated. I've suffered all my life. And I said, let's fix it. And he said, I'm not ready. I finally took care of his septum when he was 84. No, sir. And, and no, it is. I mean, it's, you know, it's, and I tell my patients that. I think it's a great story. Okay, he did great so after. Funny. And he said, I don't know why I waited uh, 70 years of my life to do the septal uh, surgery. And he feels great. He feels great. Yeah. And that fixed the problem. Incredible. You know, and now I think when people think of nasal surgery, they think of all that packing. Not only the packing, the commonest questions I get is, yeah, number one, will there be packing in the nose? And number two is, will I be black and blue? And I tell them, uh, yes and no, because you won't have any black and blue. There'll be no bruising because no we're not doing any cosmetic surgery. Right. We're doing a functional surgery without touching the outside of your nose. And the packing is, you know, people have this uh, concept of... Uh, you know, big packing in the nose, which right. they heard from their dad or right. uncle, because right. that's what we did 20 years ago. And I tell right. them, no, you're just going to have a small piece of gauze in your nose Isn't overnight, and we funny? take that out. So when they hear that... I, I just remember, I remember seeing those patients when I was on the floors with the packing. I mean, we'd be there for, like, what is in there? Yeah. <laughs> what amazing. is it, about six or seven feet? You know, the, <laughs> the Vaseline gauze it in each was. one on each side. Right. Yeah, and patients remember that. They've heard that those stories, and uh, they don't want to get the surgery because of that right. and actually some some of us are getting away from uh, packing the nose right because of newer te techniques, techniques where we uh, staple the septum or we put sutures in through the septum wow. so this kind of prevents you know it, it's just changed well i, mean, I wanted to bring that up because i think that that is the impression that's out there you know and i and think that may be limiting people from going and having a procedure that would improve their quality of life because they're thinking about what they have to endure Right. And that's what I tell my patients. Now that you're talking to me, I'm telling you these are the options. And, right. You know, once they understand that, then they know it's not as big a deal. Oh, definitely. And, you know, we'll, we'll paint the worst pictures and your nose will be blocked. They come back the next morning and they're like, oh, it wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't bad. So, you know, they understand. And even if it was bad, it's just really 12 hours of having small little gauze pieces in your nose. Well, it's my father's birthday today. And if I can get him in to have his deviated septum fixed, that would be my birthday gift How to him. Is he? He's 70. Oh, let's see. <laughs> 1938, so he's 78. Okay, he falls within that range. Remember, I told you 84, 84 is my limit. So <laughs> 84 is your limit. 84, 84 is my he limit. He works every day. He still goes to work. He's Great. amazing. Yeah, he's you would unbelievable. If I could get him there, because he makes us all crazy with his nose spray for the last 78 years. Now, 
I wanted to end tonight. We have um, 10 minutes left. I wanted to talk a little bit about a really important screening that your group, as well as along with many of our ENTs in the greater Waterbury area, are involved in at the Lever Center. And there is a head and neck screening that you do every year at the Harold Lever Regional Cancer Center. And this year it's scheduled for April 12th, I believe, from 4.30 to 6. Yeah, this actually, this project started, uh, I, I started this four years ago in town. And uh, our society, our state society, uh, along with uh, the head and neck cancer uh, awareness group, the oral cancer uh, awareness group, uh, wanted to start this in the state. So, uh, you know, I volunteered to set it up. I spoke to the Harold Lever Cancer Center, which is a center that's uh, a collaboration between St. Mary's and Waterbury Hospital. Uh, They offered me their premises because I thought that would be a great... uh, a place to have this because patients know location. the cancer center, yeah. right? You Absolutely. know, and that's what you're doing. We're doing oral cancer screening. Yeah. Uh, so we went ahead and organized this. I involved all the other ENTs in town. Uh, we got the radiation oncologists and the medical oncologists on board. I got wow. a, a dentist. I got our mid-level providers, our APRNs, PAs on board. So it's great. Our dentists, oral surgeons, all participate in this. Wow. Everyone volunteers their time, one or two hours of their time, uh, on you know a spring afternoon. And we see patients. We see a lot of patients. We see a lot of patients. And I mean, we want to premise this, too, with the fact that if this is something, we'll give you the information at the end, but if this is something you want to do or participate in, you have to do it by appointment. And you have to sign up early because I know those appointments go fast. How many patients last year? Did you uh, say you saw I about? close to 90. And that's in an hour and a half. A couple of hours. A couple of so hours. So it's really a quick screening. I, I, tell, I tell the patients who come in that this is a quick screening. We're just looking at the oral and head and, head and neck areas. And what are you and looking for? So what would... What what's what are you typically looking for? You're basically looking to see if there are any lumps, bumps, any ulcers, any lesions uh, that need uh, to be addressed. So you look further. in the mouth. We look in the mouth. We look in the nose. Look in the ear. You know, feel the neck. Feel the uh, neck. Basically, see if there are any lumps, bumps anywhere. And if we find something, um, we just have the patients follow up with uh, right. either if they have an ENT doctor or a dentist. If they don't, then they'll see any one of us, anyone who's seeing them. They'll just follow up in the office. What is some of the interesting things that you've seen over the last four years in doing this screening where you may have caught where a person wouldn't have? <laughs> but yeah, we, we do see, you know, cysts and tumors and right. uh, we, we just had them come back to the office. Have them come back to the yeah, office thankfully, to be screened. I, I, even though we are in a, in a city area, but I think our uh, population is pretty well informed and uh, thankfully we haven't seen anything uh, gross I would be really upset if I saw someone right. walking in with a big uh, tumor in his mouth <laughs> definitely and, and this is important oral cancers are so important I'm sure everyone's heard about what happened to Michael Douglas he's had a right. great recovery we are seeing more and more of these oropharyngeal which is back of the throat cancers and what are the causes though is it from the, smoking the reason, or right traditionally we were seeing all these patients who were smokers and drinkers which mm-hmm. are the big risk factors but now we're seeing patients with the uh, HP virus, human papilloma virus. Really? Yeah, so, uh, you know, unsafe uh, sexual practices. Right. These, these are the things that could cause that. So, uh, you know, I, I think we're seeing more of that now and less of the smoking and the alcohol bits. So, but it's good. At least now we are aware of this and they can be treated well. They can be treated effectively. Definitely. Do you pick up a lot of thyroid nodules? I know that that's a big thing in our area. We And I only say that because when I worked with the radiology with NVRA for many years, we saw such an uptake in thyroid ultrasounds. Yeah, we do see a lot. Uh, you know, Waterbury is really, you're right. It, it is an area where we see a lot of thyroid disease. Mm. And uh, we, in our practice, you know, we, we basically are ear, nose and throat, head and neck and sinus and allergy specialists. Right. That is a mouthful. But we do cover the entire uh, head and neck. gamut of head and neck, anything above the clavicles and below the brain and leaving out the eyes. Right. Although we do some uh, stuff with the eye doctors. Mm-hmm. But we do see thyroid nodules, patients with cancers or suspected cancer or patients with hyperthyroid disease. And we do take care of these patients too. And I'm sure that you pick up a few at the screening. And I, and I don't think people realize they even have a nodule. 
Right, exactly. So you kind of, when we feel the neck, that's commonly the thing that we'll find uh, is like maybe some thyroid lumps and bumps, and then we just tell them follow up, get an ultrasound. And, uh, and most of them are benign. 95% are right? benign. Most so of them are that's benign. That's patients, don't worry about it. It's that 5% that you're seeking. And typically, uh, we just do an ultrasound. That's usually right? the first step. You do an ultrasound, and if there's a sizable nodule, you do a fine needle aspiration. Just and most often, that's all you need to do for patients. Just follow them annually, and just they do well. And they do well. And if it's thyroid cancer, it's 100% curable if it's caught early. If it's caught early, if it's surgery and or uh, radioiodine therapy, yeah. uh, you know, they do they do well. And we do tend to catch we do tend to catch them early. We do tend to catch these patients early if they're seeing their doctors. But if they're caught late, if these patients are caught later and they do do surgery, they still have a high survival rate. They do because thyroid cancers, they grow slowly right? and they're well treatable. I mean, I, I tell my patients that if you are, if you are given a choice that you, you need to pick a cancer, but you have a choice <laughs> of which cancer to pick, I tell them pick thyroid cancer. Pick thyroid. Yeah. Right. Because you can definitely live it's with treatable. It. It's yep. very treatable. Yep. Well, we we only have a few minutes left, so I want to make sure that I highlight that screening. So that screening is going to be April twelfth at the Harold Lever Cancer Center. It starts around four thirty, ends around six six thirty. Four thirty to six thirty. Four thirty to six thirty, and we have a variety of physicians that participate. Yeah, you'll probably get to see your own doctor there. You might see your own doctor there, right? And I think they really put out a lavish uh, treat there. It's they a lot of do. there, and Deb uh, they Parkinson, do a great job. Deb who is our op- the operations manager there, tends to treat every single patient well when they walk in the door. And yeah, there's you have never a, a, shortage there's a steak of and lobster dinner. <laughs> no, Deb, we not. won't hold you to that one. <laughs> we um, The general number for the Harold Leadable Regional Cancer Center, if you have questions about it, is 203-575-5555. I'm not sure if that's the number you're going to register on, but that is the general number, and they can definitely connect you with where registration is. Again, that's 203-575-5555, and their website is levercancercenter, all one word, dot org. So you can definitely go on levercancercenter.org, and that's two E's, L-E-E-V-E-R, cancercenter.org, and look on their website. Um, I'm sure they have information on it, and again, register early. Again, that's April 12th. So Dr. By we went over a ton of information tonight. Thank you again so much for joining us. I want to make sure that um, I give everyone the phone number for your office, which I have here. So Dr. Baya and Dr. Schiff are located in Waterbury, but also in Southbury. And I'm sorry. And Southington. And Southington. Yeah, three Absolutely. offices. Three offices. So you can call them at 203-574-3777. And they can connect you with any one of the offices that's most convenient for you. In Waterbury, you're right in downtown Waterbury at 21 West Main Street. That's correct. Right? They're right on the green. Right on the green. And there is parking. Easy parking. It's, it's parking so easy. Parking is under the building. Under people don't realize it. When you go to that office, people are like, oh, you're right in downtown. It's the best. You park right on that side road on Center Street. Park right underneath. Take your ticket. It, the elevator is literally in that ramp garage. It takes you right up to your office. You open the doors. You're right in the office. You don't even have to walk outside. So if it's raining, it's so convenient. And you stamp the ticket. Which makes it even better, because I know when I come to visit Dana, your practice manager, that's my favorite office to go visit her in. Thank you. Because it's very easy. So, Dr. Baya, thank you again so much for joining us. You did an incredible job educating No, thank our you community. for having me. I mean, it's it's important for us to educate the community, and, uh, you know, these are, this is the forum to do that, and... Obviously, if anyone has questions, they to can con- reach out to us and we'll Definitely. gladly help. And they have a website, too. You can go on ConnecticutENT.com to see more about Dr. Baya and Dr. Schiff and Debbie Mastriani, their APRN, and the whole team of your audiologists, too. I don't want to leave them out. Yeah, we do have a comprehensive uh, practice. We have audiologists. We have hearing aids that we fit people with. We do a lot of audiologic dizziness uh, testing, balance testing. Incredible. So we are pretty comprehensive. You're incredibly uh, comprehensive practice. So again, thank you so much for coming again. Their number is 203-574-3777 and you can uh, learn more about them on ConnecticutENT.com. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Robin Sills, St. Mary's Hospital, Exceptional Care, every patient, every day. Have a great night. (music) 